Today we have a fascinating conversation with a recognized expert when it comes to technology, and he also has a lot of experience working with the church. Next on the Church Solutions Podcast. It's the Church Solutions Podcast, brought to you by StreamingChurch.tv. The Church Solutions Podcast is all about helping you and your church with technology and other encouraging ideas for ministry. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Lacey and Phil Thompson. And it's another Church Solutions Podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Phil Thompson. And I'm Steve Lacey. This is episode... uh, I never say the episode, but I think it's episode 286, I think is what it is, if if anybody really cares. But we've been doing this really longer than Apple did our things. We used to do video, and we're doing video today as well as audio. But we're a tech company that helps churches. Steve, how are you today? I'm doing good. All right, good. Glad to hear it. A little windy here in the old Pueblo. Yes. But uh, we're we're going to make it. to close the windows. Uh, it It blew over my trader grill. Uh, my grill, f- I was gone. I had a treadmill test today because I have a, have a bad ticker. And uh, I came back and my wife said the, the trader grill f- flopped over. <laughs> and so we had to like pick it up and uh, it's a mess. But uh, that's how windy it was here. All right. So uh, I'm sure our listeners are wondering, what are we going to talk about today? Yes. What are we talking about today? I have no idea. No, we're going to talk about technology in the church and we're going to, which, you know, is a big surprise there, right? But uh, we have a special guest today. He's an old friend of mine. It goes back many decades. Uh, his name is Dr. Rick Livingood. And Rick has been active in ministry now for, well, I won't say, but it's been a long time. Uh, he also does consulting. He works with academics. He, he teaches uh, computer science at uh, not, one un- well, not one Christian university, but several Christian universities, and uh, he has spent, he spent actually nearly a decade in, in, in radio, which is where I first met him uh, back when uh, we used to crank the thing, crank the thing to get the, you know, to get the, the transfer. Gerbils, gerbils running around in a cage. Exactly. And, and, uh, and he, but he spent like over three decades now really working in technology. And in recent years, he served as the chief academic officer, provost. Provost. Is that a French word? What does that mean? Does that mean provost. like you're. You're uh, a provost. Is that all old? it means is you don't know what the heck you're doing. Yeah, it means you're old. <laughs> you're, it's something like a dean or something. I don't know, only maybe yeah. one step down. And then uh, he's also a department chair of several universities. Again, multiple universities. He holds a degree in IT, and, uh, which I refer to as IT. And uh, his... Yeah, his a yeah, doctorate. He's no got less. a doctorate. He's got a doctorate. And uh, his degree includes a lot of pro- post-grad work with Stanford and Berkeley. All this is the computer science. Uh, and then Rick also enjoys woodworking. And I didn't know, but he, he just got off his airplane a little while ago. He likes to fly and he likes to uh, t- spend time with his wife and he likes to go for a walk. So Rick, thank you so much for being with us today. How are you? Uh, very fine. Thank you. All right, good. How long have you been flying an airplane? Well, it's an interesting story. I worked on my license 20 years ago. I flew solo in 1998, and then I had to, well, I didn't have to, but it was an opportunity to do consulting in Hawaii with the federal government uh, working for the military, 
And my wife found out that you could see sharks in the water you, when you were uh, on final at Honolulu International. So she said, no, you're not flying. And then when I got home, I didn't continue. And so um, I picked it up just uh, a couple of months ago and soloed last week again for the second time. And uh, I should probably have my full license by the end of May or June. All right. Um... There's, I'm not too far from Marana Regional Airport. I live up here by Gladden Farms. And uh, mm-hmm. sometimes those, guy fly, those guys fly over my house and I shake mm-hmm. my fist at them. But uh, all right, so uh, Rick and I go back can, a long ways. Go ahead. Can you, can you fly privately to Hawaii? No, no mainland? Well, I would think no, no. I, I, I won't say that. Uh, uh, probably you could. Uh, on a private, uh, what they pro- call a private ticket. Uh, if you had the right kind of airplane, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't attempt it. I mean, you'd have to have a, you'd have to have a jet or something like that. Um, but there is a gentleman I know, he's got a Cessna. It's a fairly decent size Cessna, but it's not a dual. And he's flying from uh, New York to, um, to uh, Switzerland sometime later in the year. So he's going to wow. fly to Greenland and Greenland over to England and then to Switzerland. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. All right. So uh, as I've alluded to earlier, Rick and I know each other for, have known each other for a long time. Uh, Christian radio, Christian broadcasting, we both have been involved in, and it's a pleasure to have you, Rick. So Rick, we're going to talk since you're, since you have a degree, a doctorate in IT, let's talk a little bit about this uh, Mm -hmm. and how it relates to ministry, Mm -hmm. how it relates to the church. Now I, I pulled up some stat from like years ago. I think it was like back in 2011, the people at Tyndale University College and Seminary said 35% of leaders back then believed churches were too focused, too focused on technology. But of course, here we are in um, 2021, and of course, the pandemic and everything. Uh, the attitude, I think, has changed for many leaders. You teach technology. Has the attitude within Christian leaders Embrace, are they embracing technology more? Uh, I mean, they probably don't have a choice, but but are people still dragging their heels? Are they kicking and screaming? Uh, what's your take on this? The, probably the most significant event to drive technology into the ministry um, is the COVID-19 yes. pandemic. But it has been coming for a long time. So there were some, there have been some, what I would call thresholds, benchmarks, uh, historical moments. Uh, probably the first one that uh, began to cause ministry, not necessarily churches, but ministry to think technology was when satellite distribution of radio programs became clearly the uh, future. Uh, many ministries were switching over to, instead of sending out tapes, old yeah. uh, magnetic tapes, reel to reel and cassette <laughs> tapes. They started to use uh, technology in the form of, um, of the sa- of satellite delivery. That wasn't significant to churches. It might have been to ministries such as Moody Radio and others. Um, but uh, I think the two things that have driven the church to... Um, to the, to the technology uh, table, obviously COVID-19, I'll talk about that in a minute. But the other uh, is the web, the web itself and the ability to do um, uh, 
fundraising online. Um, you know, many churches still take a collection on a Sunday morning, but I would imagine, and this is just anecdotal data now, and hey, come on, I'm, a, I'm an academia and I, I teach doctoral students. And I, I would say, I always say when I don't really have the data, anecdotally, I would say many churches have started to approach 50% of their giving by online um, um, operations. The, the uh, church parishioners don't write a check anymore. They don't bring cash to drop in the collection plate. They go online and they make their, their, uh, their weekly or month, uh, semi-monthly or monthly uh, offering donation through an online venue. That's huge. And it's just going to continue to grow. Now, the real significant moment, of course, was back in March of last year. Um, it was interesting to watch. Now, you have to realize uh, my background involves uh, how the Internet delivers information. I've worked with the military. I've helped them train soldiers on how to set up huge networks. So I know how the, the backbone of the Internet works, and I understand routing, uh, how routers work, and how data, mo how data moves around the Internet. Uh, I really did think there was going to be major collapses of the internet when COVID-19 hit. Um, that did not happen. There were, there were sporadic outages or, and I won't even use the term outage. I would say it was just delays, annoying delays of video or audio that took place over uh, the first six months of the pandemic. And that was as, um, people uh, were forced into using technology, having to work from home, and churches not being able to meet. Uh, and sometimes it wasn't just that they couldn't meet, but a lot of the parishioners didn't want to go because they were fearful. Mm -hmm. So what does the church do? Well, you got to do something. And one of them was, hey, let's use the internet. Well, most of them didn't know how to use the internet. Uh, some of them were sold a bill of goods on, you know, I mean, organizations jumped on this. Let's look at Zoom as an example. When Zoom first started to pick up all this extra business because of COVID-19, no security. Zoom was not ready. There were all kinds of things going on that they just weren't prepared for. Now they fixed all those things or most of them, but churches didn't know how to use all that technology and they had and there was a learning curve now it's interesting and i might add and i'll, I'll stop and 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 ask, let you ask any questions you have but there if you now this has changed a little bit and and i'll explain why in a moment but for a for a little while during the first half of this past uh of the covid situation it's been a year so during that first half up until september october if you went online on a Sunday morning to do something such as stream video or you wanted to check your bank account or you, you were going to buy something online, there were times that there were delays, significant delays. Now, those delays may not have meant much to most people, but I knew they were there. And the reason was Sunday morning was the most significant use of streaming weekly because of churches using the Internet. Yeah, we, we know now, <laughs> in September of this past year, there were actually outages on the Internet. And that was driven by students being told, stay home, but come to school online. 
And there were actually some outages on the East Coast uh, that took out the internet for several hours because there was an overload that wasn't, they weren't prepared, the, the, internet, the internet companies weren't prepared for the overload as schools started to go online. Churches uh, also, by the way, became more savvy in how, in, in, in how they delivered the content, who they used to deliver the content, et cetera. And so Sunday mornings started to become uh, less of a, of a, of a, what I call a bandwidth hog. And that's not, that's not a derogatory statement toward churches. It's just the reality of the, of the situation. So, so as churches were hesitant to adopt this technology, what are the, what are the primary reasons for them to, to drag their feet? I mean, COVID obviously kind of said, well, you're going, whether you want to or not, what are some of the, the primary reasons you think that uh, churches had kind of held back? Well, some churches, big, some churches were ready. I mean, there were, there were, so there's a church here in Tucson, uh, not necessarily a, uh, what I would call necessarily a, 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 a internet ready church, but they were already doing some of their services, delivering uh, material on the internet to the, what is, has sometimes been called the shut-in population. Those who just can't get out physically to go to church. Uh, there were a few like that, but a lot of churches, the big problem was one, very few people in the church understood technology well enough to be able to implement it well. Mm-hmm. And two, equipment-wise, they weren't ready. So as an example, um, many churches initially, and, and where I go to church, initially the pastor did a Sunday service that was done live in his backyard. Well, you know, there were some technology issues there, always got that problem. Uh, you're getting used to things, but that was when nobody was able to show up initially. Then as the, uh, as, as the, uh, as the rules, we won't necessarily call them laws, but rules uh, changed a little bit and you could meet this particular church started to meet outdoors. Well, the outdoor area where they met was not right next to the sanctuary the auditorium. And so they ran into issues with, they ran into into issues with what I call bandwidth right on the property and equipment that wasn't really ready for that kind of usage. And it took them a little while to, uh, to get their stride. Most churches struggled just to, to figure out what to do to purchase equipment because many of them didn't have cameras. If they did, it wasn't, they weren't very good cameras. And so there was a run on cameras uh, uh, video cameras. It took them. It took them a little while to get their their get their mojo on, and as they did, uh, the quality got better. Bandwidth issues weren't quite as big of a deal. Some of them got quite good at what they did. Now let me jump over to another partial uh, point here, and that is that many meetings that are held during the week, they aren't church services, but they're meetings. A good example. Uh, my wife and I are involved in a Thursday evening prayer meeting, and that prayer meeting met at the church on Thursday night for one hour. When this all broke loose, of course, I do this. I've been working. I've been working online in education for eleven years full time. So I was. I've been. I've been working from home for eleven years. People say, "How are you faring the the pandemic?" Ha! Are you kidding me? I've been doing this for a long time. This is no big deal. In fact, I probably got out more during the pandemic than I did before the pandemic. Yeah, I think there it's relatable for us. Week. 
Yeah. Huh? I think it's relatable for both of us yeah. uh, and Steve yeah. as well. <laughs> well some, there were some weeks where uh, yeah. I, I worked in my office at home. This is my home office, a little cluttered because that's, hey, a professor, come on, you got to have junk everywhere or you're not a professor. <laughs> and um, uh, I wouldn't leave my property except to go to church on Sunday morning. Yeah. Well, anyway. Um, uh, hey, real quick, let me ask you a question. Let me real quick. Yeah. Let me jump yeah. in here and interrupt you. You you said when this all started that, that you were concerned that the internet might collapse. Mm-hmm. And I remember Steve and I back, I think it was like March 15th, we were talking, you know, in 2020. And we I think we were discussing, is this an epidemic or is it a pandemic? But I was concerned myself. I wondered what was going to happen here. Uh, you were concerned. Why didn't it totally fail? And I have the answer to that. So in the uh, mid 90s to late 90s to very early 2000s, there were investors and finance uh, investment companies that were laying fiber cable in the ground for, quote, unquote, the future. A lot of that cable that got put in the ground, you have to realize these are bundled fiber optic cables that could handle and and I, I use some terminology that some people are, are, are used to gigabits of data, but um, to be quite frank, uh, they didn't realize that this would eventually pay off. And I have heard anecdotally through some friends that work in the industry that a lot of those, what they call dark fiber cables have been lit up. Now they're using them. Now, some of this, you have to realize um there was preparation for this, not knowing the pandemic was coming because the, because industry realized that there was a outcry for streaming movies, TV shows, video. Uh, People want to watch movies on demand. And a lot of that is through digital streaming. And so the industry was kind of keeping up with that, seeing it coming. That's the beauty. I'll, I'll say it. I'll say it. It's the beauty of capitalism. You, you, you're, you're looking for investments. You see something in the future and you jump on it. And that's, and I, I will add, uh, if, as funny as this may sound, this, the, uh, the um, um, Santa Fe, is it the Santa Fe? Union Pacific. Union Pacific Railroad saw this coming. And the ownership has railroad tracks with right-of-way across America. And they were digging trenches along the railroad tracks right here in Tucson for a while, dropping several bundles of these fiber optic cables in the ground with the anticipation that some point down the road, they would be selling those those, uh, uh, channels, those electronic channels. And that's exactly what happened. And because they did that in the 90s and early 2000s, not knowing what was coming, the United States was ready for it. Now, I will tell you, friends in India, that has not gone as well for other countries where they weren't prepared and there were outages on a regular basis. And I don't mean little flickers. I mean full outages, sometimes for long periods of time. The United States didn't uh, go through that because we were, without really realizing what was going to happen, prepared. Wow. That's interesting. I, ne- I never knew that. I, so here, I here, think, think of it. Let me, let me give, give you an, a, an idea of the extent of what goes on on the internet. In a given second, 
every single second of the day, 250 emails traverse the internet. Every single second. Now, you're not just talking about my email, right? You're talking about... (laughs) I'm talking about email floating all over the world. Now, if we took all of the data, everything that is accumulable, everything, as of about a year or so ago, and we wanted to take all of that data, we're talking about emails, we're talking about uh, church uh, podcasts, we're talking about uh, Phil Thompson and Steve Lacey and their data and anything at all. It didn't make any difference what it is. And they were to accumulate it in all in one place at one time. It would take a four-story building with hard drives one after another. That four-story building would take up all of Manhattan Island. They say that by 2040, it shifts around the date. It will no bit no longer fit on Manhattan Island. It will be a four-story building the size of the state of Rhode Island. Data is king. It is huge. People don't realize and realize it. And this is just, you know, so everything that happens, this podcast at this very moment, the whole image you see on the screen right now is made up of nothing more than zeros and ones that the computer knows what to do with. Those 250 250 million emails are all a bunch of zeros and ones zipping all over the world very, very fast. So last week we passed a milestone. I don't know if you heard about that or not, but um, for the first time ever, according to Barna, more people are not part of a church than are part of a church. So that, that, that trend has been declining and it just went below. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about, uh, if we were looking at demographics, that if you look at that demographic, if I was looking at the young people of the world, there would be, I don't know, 70% or more say they aren't part of a church. And if I look at the demographic, 30% of those are not part of a church. So that tells me the age of the average attender in the church has gone way up. And those are the guys that have the, the technology challenges as well. Right. So we've got those that are really adept are not part of church. How do we, how do we go about solving that problem? Oh boy. That's an interesting question. <laughs> well, the church has always had its ups and downs and challenges. There's, there's never been a decade century where the church did not go through all kinds of transitions. Um, and uh, I, I, I don't know if I really have a full answer to that, but certainly the church needs to embrace uh, the young as, verse, as well as its traditional uh, congregants. Uh, as an example, well, I remember just a, just a couple of months ago, there was a, and I'm, I'm 68 years old, um, I've been working with computers since I was 16 years old. So this is 52 years of working with or more of working with computers. Um, and there, I, I, in a Sunday school where there's mostly folks who are retired, I'm not retired. I'm still working full time. But um, something was said and, I, and I, I, it caught my attention. And I said, look, we're not the future of the church. You realize all of us could be dead in 10 to 20 years, if not even sooner. And we're not going to be here. And the church has to survive and move on. 
And so part of that is embracing a younger generation. And part of that is looking at how you do that. Now, God calls us, Christ called us to action. And uh, uh, certainly um, uh, that action is to be involved. But remember, the church had to go underground during the Roman persecution uh, when the Roman Empire uh, basically outlawed Christianity. And um, so the, the church always, has not always met uh, face-to-face, uh, or at least not openly. And so what we're seeing right now is it's technology that's allowed the church to change its uh, traditional locations. Now, how do you get the younger people involved? Well, I don't, I don't know if I have the full answer to that. Certainly the church, and I think the electronic church of today has got to figure out a couple of things. I mean, preaching is preaching, but how do you deliver good, solid, very well done musical um, sets? I'll use that term. Um, how do you deliver uh, and, and work with the kids, the young kids? I mean, mom and dad are listening to a service. What's being done for the kids? I mean, electronically, I don't think, I haven't heard of any church doing that. I'm sure there are some that have two different channels. One channel, you're, you're broadcasting, podcasting the church service to the adults. The other channel, maybe you're doing something for kids. I don't know what that would look like. I'm not a, I'm not a children's minister, but certainly because it's not terribly expensive to do that, the church could expand their uh, capabilities into offering multiple types of services, uh, uh, one for junior high, high school college and career, as we used to call it, and probably still do in some, some places. Um, I'm not sure how you do nursery. That, that would be a real challenge. But our churches our churches taking advantage of multiple channel opportunities to deliver um, uh, well-produced, well-organized, um, We'll, we'll use the presentation. Uh, yeah, Sunday but, school, something like that. Yeah, you know, Tony Morgan, I don't know if you know who he is, but he's really, he's got his own organization where he consults churches. He used to be executive uh, director, executive pastor at, uh, oh, the place over there by Notre Dame. But he was saying that that content, you know, people can get content now anytime they want. Yes. And people coming back to church, actually going to the facility facility now, especially now that, you know, we're in this pandemic and we're coming out of it, but still people aren't going to necessarily come for content. They're going to come for the arts. They're going to come for relationships. Yeah. Relationships. And that was his whole point was, uh, and he was talking about how bringing the arts, which is kind of what you're alluding to here, Rick, I think is, is, you know, you're not just putting canned presentations together Sunday morning, but you're, you, you have actually, you know, music that's, that's, that's creative and, and different things that uh, the church used to do a long, long time ago uh, in the area of the arts. And, uh, and I think that will be an answer. That's my opinion. Anyhow, the arts and, and relationships, because you can get content. I mean, we're, we got this podcast, it's on audio, it's on video, you get content anytime, day and night. And it's the same way you can put your sermons on anytime. But what really brings people together is relationships relationships so, and, so, and so, and so you're you welcome hit, so there you hit go. on something really important here phil so why did god create man in the first place well, well there's go ahead and answer that yeah, he, <laughs> he, wanted, he wanted he wanted personal intimate fellowship 
it's like you and I, Phil, over a cup of coffee at a restaurant, talking about our lives, talking about our families, talking about our hurts and our successes, on and on and on. And God desired that. And he wasn't, God had angels, but it wasn't the same. And God decided that, and, and this probably was, I mean, you know, we don't understand God fully. There's just absolutely no way. The older I get, the more I realize I really don't even know who God, I know God. And I know Jesus died on the cross for my sin. But here's the thing. I don't understand the full mind of God and I won't till I get to heaven. And then I'll spend an eternity trying to figure it out. But the beauty is God knew he wanted someone to share. And so he created man. A relationship, that's what COVID has killed. I won't say killed, but stifled it. And it's hard to get back. Now, let me go back to that prayer meeting thing. So we started to do prayer meeting on Zoom. And one night on, during this hour-long prayer meeting, we got talking about what we would do when it came time to meet again face-to-face. And we said, you know, maybe we won't. Maybe we'll do Zoom and continue it this way. There were a couple of reasons for that. We actually never lost real, a real strong... Now, this is because you had multiple people talking and sharing their lives, and, and then we pray about each other's needs and so on. Uh, uh, not like a, a Sunday service where you just see a talking head, but this was people talking and interacting with each other. And we found that we actually didn't feel like we lost much during the prayer time. Now, that's a little unusual. We realized that we, we and I hate to say it, but we saved time. We didn't have to drive to the church and didn't drive home. Some people who couldn't do that were now joining the prayer meeting. Yeah. So there's some there are some advantages to the electronic medium that medium that makes it uh, maybe more doable for some activities spiritually. But like you said, I, I will say our church has started to meet face to face, and you should see the smiling faces. They can't wait to get to each other and sh- and shake their hand and talk to each other. Uh, they missed that for the last year. So yeah. there's give and take in this whole electronic thing. All right. So we're out of time here, but as we would say in radio, uh, 30 seconds, Rick, uh, do you, what do you think is going to happen once we come out of this pandemic? Do you think things will change or do you think they'll stay the same as they were? Uh, what do you think is going to happen? I think that churches will, will start to meet again, but I think they're not going to abandon what technology they've learned to use. It will, it will benefit them. Now, one thing that has happened is churches are finding they have new people joining them and they're, they're coming to the service online, but they aren't coming to the on-ground service. And they're getting some people who are coming from other states to their church, if you will, electronically. Uh, of course, church hopping or, or church shopping has been a big deal during, during the pandemic pandemic. But I think that a lot of churches will continue to embrace the technology because, hey, they've already invested in it. Why not continue to do it? And now they have two channels to reach out. Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Rick Livingood has been our guest. Uh, Rick, how can people get a hold of you? I mean, I I know if if somebody wanted to reach out to you and had a question or something, uh, I'm sure you'd be willing to, to at least give them a little advice. How can people get a hold of you? 
I'll give you an email that I, if anything happens, it's, it's one that I don't care what happens to it. There's a few of them I hold very close because they're for my students and that kind of thing. But I've had one for years. It's Rick L, R-I-C-K-L at the number one, H-A-N-D, I do have both hands, dot net. So one hand dot net, Rick L at one hand dot net. And it's the number, the numeral one, H-A-N-D dot N-E-T. Where did you get that? Where, where, where did that come from? That came from, uh, so uh, if you're familiar, uh, years ago, I did a radio broadcast called First Hand Radio. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I yeah. And yeah. The, by the way, the claim to fame was First Hand Radio was the gentleman who started that broadcast had a special guest, very similar to what we're doing right now. That special guest had just written a book and the guy who started First Hand Radio was interviewing him. And when they got all done, the guy said to him, how do you get into radio? This just looks like a great ministry. The gentleman who asked that question was Dr. James Dobson. Oh, wow. So firsthand radio got Dr. Dobson into radio back in the late 80s, early, late 80s. Yeah, I, yeah it was early 80s, I think. But yeah, oh, wow. yeah, I actually spoke to him one time. Uh, he never would talk to me again. But anyhow, uh, <laughs> that's very common. All right. Well, we're way out of time here. But Rick, it's it's good to reconnect with you. You and I go back a ways. And uh, we sure appreciate your insight here. Dr. Rick Livinggood uh, has been our guest today on the Church Solutions podcast. And uh, Rick, since we do live in the same town, uh, we should get together one of these, one of these days. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. Good. Blessings so on everybody. Yeah. God bless. Thanks, Rick. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you, Rick. And thank you, Steve Lacey, for uh, being with us today as well. Appreciate you. And uh, most of all, thank you, our viewers and listeners to the Church Solutions Podcast. Please take care of yourselves. We'll catch you again next time.